Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Hey, it's Jacob Goldstein, and I've got a bonus episode for you today. It is about the surprisingly intriguing story of the invention of the wheeled suitcase. It's from the podcast Patented, History of Inventions. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you like it too. So it's kind of like an example of how stupid we are sometimes when it comes to innovation, that we managed to put two men on the moon before we put wheels on suitcases. Sometimes a product comes along and you can't help but think, how did it take so long for someone to come up with that? A prime example, it wasn't until 1972 that Bernard D. Sado patented the first wheel suitcase. And this is centuries, of course, after the invention of the wheel, decades since luggage had become an everyday item. It just seems so obvious. The story of the rolling suitcase has become somewhat of a favourite anecdote for people like me to wheel out when trying to inject some hubris into conversations about invention and innovation. Sometimes the most obvious ideas simply elude us. And whilst this is a good lesson for us all, I also think that this framing misses some key context. Yes, the technology existed, but the need for easily movable luggage didn't exist much before the disappearance of porters from our train stations and the dawn of an age of affordable mass tourism. Aren't those giant airports with their smooth floors just calling out for wheels? But today's guest, Katrine Marsal, author of the book Mothers of Invention, suggests that there's an even bigger gap in this story. Her research suggests there were social blind spots that prevented us from widely adopting wheeled luggage, something that she discovered existed long before its official invention date back in the 1970s. I'm Dallas Campbell, and this is Patented History of Inventions, a podcast from History Hit.
welcome to the show, Katrine Mossal. Lovely to have you here. Katrine, of course, uh, writer, speaker, economist, well, writer about economics and author of the book, Mothers of Invention, How Good Ideas Get Ignored in an Economy Built for Men. That's me. Yes. Thank you. That is you. That yeah. is you. Well, listen, thanks for coming on. I've been really looking forward to this one because the story of the wheeled suitcase is kind of one of those stories that always gets trotted out when anyone's talking about innovation. Everyone's like, well, wheeled suitcases and we've had wheels for a billion years and we've had suitcases for a billion years. And why did no one put wheels on a suitcase before 1970? Well, not exactly a billion years. but Well, not exactly a billion years, but around about a billion years. So why don't we just sort of talk about the kind of received story, the one that everyone trots out, and then we can drill down a little bit deeper into actually what's really going on behind this. Okay, sure. Well, so we've had wheels for 5,000 years. Yes, yes, that's what I meant. Yes, that's what that's I meant. It. I was exaggerating. <laughs> for effect. <laughs> we've had wheels for 5,000 years. And it's one of these, you know, we think of it as, you know, the big invention that changed everything. Kind of did, I guess. I mean, they're pretty useful wheels. It did, but it took longer than you think, right? You know, you think that, you know, we have this sort of cartoon idea of it that somebody just sort of oh, let's have wheels. And then sort of everything had wheels immediately and everybody realised. And that's not really how innovation works. You know, you need to have a lot of other things for wheels to work, like roads and... Roads are helpful. Roads are helpful. Somebody, like some kind of system for maintaining roads, axles, you know, there's there's a lot of things actually. But leaving that aside, <laughs> the, um, the story of the wheeled suitcase, the way it's normally told is that we've had wheels for 5,000 years. We've applied this technology of the wheel to a lot of other things, you know, cars and bicycles and ferries wheels and hamster wheels, but not the suitcase. So we didn't get wheels on suitcases until 1972. And that's how we normally tell this story. So it's kind of like an example of how stupid we are sometimes when it comes to innovation, that we managed to put two men on the moon before we put wheels on suitcases. And so the 1972, that was the patent. So I think it was a couple of years before, wasn't it? I can't remember the guys. Bernard... Bernard Sadov, yeah, that's 1972 is when it's approved. So it's the first commercially successful patent, yeah. And just tell our listeners, how did that patent happen? What was his story? What was his background? Well, so he was an American executive in the luggage industry. So somebody paid to think about how to make suitcases better. Right? Oh, right. Yeah. And he was coming back from holiday with his family. This is a few years before, so end of the 1960s. And he is dragging these suitcases through customs. And he looks up and he sees somebody who's probably working there, sort of pulling something heavy on a platform with wheels and he looks up at, you know, at this thing and he looks at his own sort of suitcase and he looks up at his wife and he says, that's what suitcases need. Wheels. And the clouds parted <laughs> and the sun and the choir of yeah, angels so, started singing yeah, Alleluia. At least, right. But he then went back to Massachusetts and he screwed off these sort of caster wheels from a, I think it was a wardrobe and he attached them to a suitcase. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was it. So we always think, yeah, wheel suitcase invented in 1970. But that's, um, it, it was kind of the wheels on the suitcase were on the four corners of the suitcase. And there was like a handle, yeah. like a kind of, a, so you sort like of pulled leash, it along. Like a leash, yeah. Like a leash, exactly, like a leash. And then there was another innovation sometime later when you got the telescopic handle and the suitcase was sort of flipped up on its end and you had the two wheels 
And lo and behold, the carry-on wheelie suitcase as we know it was born. And I can't remember when that one was. That was in 1987, so almost a billion years after. Almost a bit. <laughs> because you think, really, I mean, it's not such a huge thing. Because those first suitcases that... Bernard Seder, bless him, yes. you know, invented. They were not that great because they kept sort of falling over. And you could even buy a kind of stabilizers. You could get stabilizers for your suitcase. That's right. I used to have one. I remember I used to have a really hard green suitcase that had four wheels and a leash and it was rubbish. How old are you? I'm a hundred years, a billion, billion years, years old. old. Yeah, <laughs> Actually, funnily enough, I'm, I'm, I was born in 1970, Ooh. the year of the wheeled suitcase, Ooh, right. if you're Bernard Duda. So from 1972, it takes until 1987 until somebody figures out, well, actually, let's just turn this thing around and it won't tip over. And that was Robert Plath. So he created what we now think of as a rolling suitcase. All right. So that's the kind of story. And it sort of was that. I mean, these people existed and their things existed. But a little bit of research, a little bit of Googling reveals that people have been designing wheeled suitcases forever. I mean, I was looking back and there was one in 1925, someone had a patent for a wheeled suitcase. And so what's going on? Like, why were all these sort of proto-wheeled suitcases not happening? Like, why did they not exist? People had the idea. So why are we celebrating the invention in 1970? You know, I mean, that's what it's like with innovation, right? You know, a lot of people tend to have a similar idea at around the same time. And, you know, in this case, we count the first commercially successful pattern. So, I mean, that is one thing, but your point is correct. Other people had thought of this before. What I find really interesting and which didn't take me that long when I was <laughs> working on the book was to see that there is a sort of very gendered pattern to all of this. So there were quite a few niche products in different ways, applying the technology of the wheel to the rolling suitcase. So it's anything from these sort of strap-on things with wheels that you could put on your suitcase to actual, you know, luggage with wheels. And so many of these were actually niche products for women. Why was that? Because, and this, you know, I argue in the book, is the big reason, actually, the solution to this mystery, you know, why did it take us so long to put wheels on suitcases? there was this really strong idea that it's unmanly to roll a suitcase. And that's why even though these ideas existed and there were, you know, reasonably successful niche products for women using the technology of the wheel to make rolling a suitcase easier, the luggage industry as a whole didn't think this was anything that would go anywhere. And even after Bernard Seidoff invents this rolling suitcase, at first no American department store wants to sell it because they think there's no market. Men will never roll a suitcase and women are too small of a market. Oh, that's really interesting. It's funny, actually, because I've just got a picture here. I'm going to show it to you. It's on my phone. So that was, I don't know if you can see on my camera. Oh, I'm right. Showing... Yeah, I haven't seen that before. So this was 1925. Yeah. And the inventor is called S. Mastrotonio. I've, I've pronounced that right. blah. Anyway, it's a woman in an elegant stripy dress pushing a wheeled suitcase. And that's sort of 1925. Mm. So I'm just wondering, yes, was this idea sort of designed for women because this is not what men do? Yeah, there is like a, a long story of us thinking that wheels are unmanly. Even in Arthurian poetry, I talk about this in the book, there's sort of an, an instance when, when Lancelot has to get on a cart with wheels to find Guinevere. And he can't do this because a knight has to be on a horse 
or at least standing on his own two legs. He can't be on something with wheels. Really? Yeah, yeah. But like guys like cars and yeah, things, don't no, they? No, this is before cars. This is before cars, right? And so sort of Roman chariots and Ben Hur. That's pretty macho and, uh, yes, and ridiculous. Roman chariots are. So it's not like a constant, but there are there are these ideas around. And there was certainly a period when sort of going in a carriage was considered to be, you know, feminine and and then going on horseback. So there there are sort of strains of this, but actually when it comes to luggage, it's all about, you know, masculinity has to always be proven and one way that a man has to prove that he's a man is by carrying heavy things. This is just a really kind of strong opinion that the luggage industry has along with an opinion that they are selling luggage to men who are the ones who travel. Women don't travel alone. If a woman travels, she will travel with a man who will then have to carry her bag for her. So that woman that you showed me on the picture, she's something that the industry considers to be quite rare, which is a woman who travels on her own. And even in the 1970s, the first rolling suitcases were quite heavily marketed towards, you know, like a 1970s businesswoman in a corduroy suit. And I suppose, you know, when we're talking about those gender stereotypes, I mean, is it that women push prams and push chairs? And when we think about wheels, we tend to think, or perhaps the industry would have tended to have thought of that. Yeah. And I suppose that a luggage on wheels may be quite similar visually in a way. Yeah. And I think there's also something about that men are not sort of allowed to demand or want comfort in a way, right? You know, it's sort of... See, I've got the trend. I demand comfort at all opportunities. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it has to be like hard, right? It has to be... Really? Yeah, no, okay. Okay. You're the exception. But there's a lot of these things. I mean, even, you know, roofs on cars used to be considered unmanly, right? You know, a real man is not allowed to complain about getting wet in the rain when he's driving his car. So the first cars for women that were first created with roof. So I think there are these things and wheels on suitcases is one example of this. When you mentioned wheels right at the start and you said absolutely correctly, you know, it's not just a wheel, you need other things to go with wheels. You need axles and you need rows. Mm. Was it not the case that part of the reason the innovation of the wheel suitcase was comparatively slow, we didn't have the architecture because airports at that time before the 1970s or around about now were small yeah. and they didn't have smooth surfaces I mean, presumably as airports expanded and got bigger and bigger, suddenly there was a need for wheeled suitcases that wasn't there before. Definitely. I mean, that's a very good point. Of course, this product happened when air travel started happening to a larger extent, but it wasn't just that. If you look in newspaper archives from the 60s and the 50s, there is like a lot of complaining about how tricky it is to carry suitcases. There are no porters anymore. The luggage industry needs to innovate. We need handles made in softer fabrics. I mean, it's all there because travel was already changing and you did have buses, you have trains. So yes, you know, the way we think of rolling suitcases against these sort of smooth airport floors, that was not an option, but it's still heavy And people were certainly complaining about this, you know, changing trains in Madrid and dragging your suitcases. So it was a problem that people were aware of. And actually, it was unthinkable for the luggage industry that men would adopt this particular solution to it. But then they did. Yeah, but that's the other thing. I mean, the speed of it. I mean, we all have them. I don't remember ever there being a case where there was a sort of backlash against wheeled suitcases because they were deemed to be unmacho. It's just... It seemed to happen very, very quickly. There were no wheeled suitcases, and suddenly there were yeah. wheeled suitcases, and, and and everything seems to kind of evolve in step with that. So, like you say, porters kind of vanished. Airport floors got smoother and uncarpeted in, in order to do that. 
And so were all those different things happening in synchronicity together at the same time? Because it did seem to happen pretty rapidly. After 87, certainly. But I mean, you do have like first this sort of idea that men can't roll suitcases, need to disappear. And then women, I mean, what you also have during this period, which obviously I emphasise in the book, is that, you know, women come out onto the former labour market in greater numbers. Women change business travel during the 1980s in large parts of the world. And that's not just, you know, suitcases with wheels. Women were the early adopters. It was marketed to them. Obviously, a woman on a business trip is a woman who travels by herself, right? Not with her family. So it was a project for her. And women change business travel in, you know, even like better lighting in hotel bathrooms. And I mean, a lot of things changed because women started traveling like that as well. And the rolling suitcase was one of them. But, you know, you're right. I mean, how quickly then goes from something that's unthinkable for men to have to being, I think now most people would think of it as more of a male product if you force them to to pick because it's so associated with like a suited businessman, right? I guess so. And I think Robert Plath, the guy who we were talking about earlier, who invented the carry-on bag as we know it with the telescopic handle and the sort of two wheels I think he was a pilot. I he think was, AD- yeah. was that right? I, I- yeah. He started marketing to sort of airline crews. And then, you know, they were quite good marketing because they would sort of walk from the airport looking smart with these bags. And yeah. people started thinking, oh, I want one. Like I that. wonder if it's possible. Can you even buy a suitcase without wheels now? I think it must be yeah. a niche thing. Yeah, it must be tricky. No, it's completely disrupted the whole global luggage industry. And, you know, that's what we think of when we hear the word suitcase now. So, yeah. There you go. Actually, many years ago, I did a program about wheeled suitcases and someone had invented, I can't remember the name of the company, but they'd invented a sort of motorised wheeled suitcase, which was very fancy. I don't think that caught on. <laughs> it's just a bit too much faff. Well, you don't know. I mean, it might. Yeah, I've, I've seen something like that. Look, those robot ones, they're supposed to walk behind you, right? Yeah. And actually, for kids as well, you know, kids, the idea that actually, well, why don't we have a wheel suitcase that kids can sit on and turn it into a kind of fairground ride? Yeah, it's, uh, they're brilliant. It's, it's a sort of win-win. It's a win-win. Let me just ask you as well. I mean, you talked about lighting in bathrooms and stuff. and your book, you sort of mentioned lots of different things, I suppose, where sort of gender has sort of influenced innovation or where gender has held back innovation. I'm just wondering what other examples you had where, where that's the case. Yeah, I mean, so we mentioned cars. So I mean, that's quite interesting because it's such a, (laughs) like ideas of cars and car market is a very gendered thing for different reasons. Mm. And what I talk about in the book is electric cars who were around already at the dawn of the automobile era in the the late 1800s. You could phone up an electric taxi company in London and, and they would come pick you up. And what's interesting is how electric cars started to be marketed towards women. Because there was this idea that a car that was slower, more comfortable, safer, was feminine. So it began to be marketed towards wealthy women and wasn't even seen as almost like a like a car, more like a drawing room on wheels, some kind of extension of the feminine sphere of the home. See, that's what I want in a car. I want a drawing room on wheels, you know, with sort of drapery. and so Inbuilt crystal vases for flowers they had. Do you want that? Nice. Very civilised. Well, actually, that's interesting because people, again, a bit like wheeled suitcases, people, like you say, cite electric cars as, we've had them for ages. And again, you know, I tend to think, well, isn't it just because battery technology is a bit rubbish? Yes. That was the main reason why electric cars then disappeared and we built a whole world for petrol-driven cars. So gender wasn't the main reason. I don't say that in the book, but automobile historians, they talk about battery issues. There were a couple of big investments into sort of business models around electric car technology in the US that didn't work out. 
for other reasons. So the market lost appetite. But then they also talk about other cultural factors. And what I say in the book is, you know, you should call those other cultural factors what they are, which is gender bias. Because when something becomes seen as for women or a drawing room on wheels, then many male consumers don't want it. Mm. So the electric car industry held back the size of its own market. It's probably fair to say, though, that when you talk about this sort of gender bias in terms of innovation, to a lot of people, it's just going to seem invisible. They're going to be like, well, what do you mean? Because we're so used to the way things are. It's only when it's pointed out, you start to make connections and see these gender biases everywhere. Is that fair? Yeah, I think we tend to think of the forces of innovation and technology as these sort of neutral, incredibly powerful, rational things that are just sort of pushing everything, you know, the economy, us, society, our lives along. Mm. And that's not really how it works. You know, we are the ones inventing and building machines and funding machines and buying machines and not just machines, but products. And we come into all of these activities shaped by our biases. And I think gender is a really big one here. The trouble is with biases, they're really easy to see in other people and not very easy to see in yourself. <laughs> yeah, so that's true, point, yeah. Pointing out your biases, oh, well, I'm not biased. Of course I'm not biased. I'm absolutely rational and completely open-minded and down the middle and I'm absolutely perfect, which in my case is true. But everyone else I've noticed is very... Very biased. Very biased. Well, I suppose that's going to be true. I suppose when we think about the history of inventions, particularly, I don't know, the Victorians, our minds turn to steam engines and such. It does tend to be a very male dominated world, not for the fact that men are more creative, but just the way that society and institutions were set up. Yeah, not just that. I mean, I think I would go further. I would say that sort of our definition of technology has almost always followed our definition of masculinity or what men do sort of when men do something it's mm. it's an invention you know when women invented software which is you know that's what the whole economy is run on now it's a female invention but back then it wasn't considered to be technology men were doing hardware which was like the serious stuff mm -hmm. and women just happened to invent and develop and largely develop this thing called software and so women are written out a lot from the history of innovations. You know, the historians who talk about, you know, why do we talk about the, the Bronze Age and the Iron Age and not the Ceramic Age or the Flax Age, you know, ceramics yeah. or things that have to do with cloth? That's also technology. That's also innovation. But we don't think of it like that. And it's been largely developed and invented by women. So women get written out of this history of innovation. And when we study it, then we are basically studying our own absence, which doesn't make women feel that, you know, being an innovator is something, it's an identity that's available to them. Yeah, it's not good. No, it's an interesting one. Actually, we did a program about the history of the spacesuit and ILC Dover, which was a Division of Playtex, of course, used to make bras and girdles. And, and actually, the spacesuits that the Apollo astronauts wore on the moon, of course, were all hand-stitched by these fantastic women, these seamstresses from Delaware, who were amazing. And it's one of those stories that kind of got lost the annals of innovation and invention. The fact that, you know, these women who were constructing these extraordinary, I don't want to say outfits, because they're more than outfits. They are sort of wearable spacecraft. And I guess it's, why has that happened? And is it changing? Are our attitudes towards innovation and invention changing now, do you think? Or are we still in a very male world? Well, I think if you just sort of do a simple exercise of following the money. So, I mean, I'm Swedish. In Sweden, 1% of all venture capital goes to women. And in Britain, it's the same. It's 1%. And, you know, and that's mainly white women. I think black British women get 0.02% of all venture capital. 
And obviously, there are other ways of funding new ideas and innovations than venture capital, but venture capital is certainly very powerful. And men do have a monopoly <laughs> on this type of funding, which means that that's not just a problem for today. That's a problem for the next 20, 25 years, because it means that, you know, the big innovations, the big business models that will define large sectors of the economy are all being developed by men with women absent. So it's still a problem. I want to sort of end on a little bit more about wheeled suitcases. Have they sort of reached their zenith? Of, of How do you define zenith? Well, it's like we've reached the pinnacle of that's it for wheel suitcase. There are no more innovations for wheel suitcases. <laughs> that's it. Well, that would be like famous last words, right? I mean, but the history of innovation tells us that there's always something coming. Well, I think there's become this kind of standardized size of wheel suitcases. It's like, you know, when you go into an airport and you've got your wheel suitcase and mm. you, they've got like a measuring thing and it's got to fit in there. Yeah. Presumably, as well as gender economics must have something to do with suitcase size because you know your carry-on luggage has to be this size in order to fit in the stowaway and the bigger it is the fewer seats you can sell therefore they want them to be as small as possible yeah no absolutely it feels that they've figured out the ultimate size and we've adapted to that i mean i think oh, is this is this the end i'm sure there'll be some kind of development and, and travel will certainly change things so i i don't dare to say this is it but i do think it's worth Having this in mind, when you see a rolling suitcase, just think of this sort of very gendered resistance against the product that was there for so long, and now we take it for granted. And if if anything, I think it's a reminder of, of how, you know, incredibly serious we take our ideas of gender, you know, oh, a man cannot roll a suitcase. Uh, obviously, this product is completely ridiculous. No man will ever buy it. And then, you know, two decades later, it is something that every businessman has and nobody thinks of it. So it's also, I think, a story of how gender roles can change very quickly and obviously how they can hold innovation back and often do. Brilliant. Katrine, thank you so much for coming. I will never look at my wheels. Actually, that's the thing that really annoys me about wheel suitcases. First of all, the handles always break. They always get to a point where they don't telescope enough and I find myself having to lean over. Yeah. And at some point, the wheel always, they get stuff caught in them and they break and I find them quite frustrating. It's annoying. Now be a real man, carry instead. Maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll go back in time. Maybe I'll be, become a macho person and have a really heavy leather suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I'll just have my own porter. It'll just carry it for me. That, that is always the solution, yeah. That would be much more civilised. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, by the way, if there's an invention story that you'd like to know more about, or you've got a favourite invention story you'd like me to cover on the podcast, do get in touch. You can find me at Dallas Campbell on Twitter or stop me in the street if you see me wandering about. I am back every Wednesday and Sunday with brand new episodes. So make sure that you subscribe to the series. Make sure you leave us a nice review if you've been enjoying it. Coming up next, we have an episode all about how the smallest objects can make the biggest difference. Hmm. I'll see you then. That was an episode of Patented, the History of Inventions. They've done podcasts on everything from condoms to steam trains. Patented is from our friends over at History Hit, and it is available wherever. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. 
The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. 